Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of NYY Takes, a pinstripe perspective podcast. The Yankees are nine and three since we took a two week hiatus from doing this on a weekly basis. Please forgive us. But, Matthew, how are we doing on this lovely Tuesday evening with the Yankees currently up 4 3 on the Orioles looking to continue their winning ways? Hard to feel anything but just fantastic about this team right now. I think that we ended our last episode on a note of real positivity, and somehow things have only gotten better from there. Uh, you know, we had mentioned last time that the Yankees had put together a pretty significant win streak, mostly beating up on bad teams or teams that we would expect that they would beat. The last two weeks, it's been anything but. They have manhandled their ostensible rivals in the American League to an extent that I did not foresee going into this season. I had the chance to be in person for one of those games last week against the White Sox. The game, one of the, I would say the most dramatic game of that series. Yeah. Uh, was tied 7-7, headed into the eighth inning. And then, as they say, the rest is history. Uh, but the good vibes are really just palpable right now. Anything that could go right that you could foresee going right is, is going right. And you go into each game and you just, you have an expectation that things are going to go well. And that's definitely something that we never could say, I don't think at any point last year, aside from maybe the win streak. Uh, and, and it really hasn't, the, the good vibes have not been this present, I would say, since 2019. So it's a really exciting time. Yeah, and it's not even just like as a fan, you kind of look at every game and almost expect the Yankees to win. It feels like the Yankees wake up every day and expect to win too. They're playing with so much confidence right now. And it was funny because last episode, and you kind of mentioned it, we definitely spoke about how real the winning streak was. I think when we were talking, it was on 10 straight, and they were going for 11 against the Blue Jays. But we were talking about how real it was because they were beating up on some pretty bad teams, the Guardians, the Orioles, you know, the ho-hum of the American League. Uh, And I asked you if you were sold. Of course you said yes. That ended up being a good take, at least it seems right now, because as you mentioned, they went on to beat – really manhandle as you mentioned the the Toronto Blue Jays in ways that I agree with you didn't think were possible I mean it seems like the Blue Jays really took those losses to the Yankees to heart I mean you saw how hard they celebrated when they won that last game of the series against them acting like they they won a playoff game or something so when you have a team like the Blue Jays that come is coming into the season really confident and thinks this division is theirs and then you have this Yankee team kind of silencing them early and and um, it makes for some very good vibes as a Yankee fan it it makes you feel very confident that this team kind of has what it takes to step up to the challenge whereas last season it kind of felt like everything was happening behind the eight ball so there's really not much to complain about Another thing we haven't really spoken much about uh, and probably should have spoken more about last podcast was, was the defense that this team has. It's just everything is so clean. IKF at short, while he does kind of botch the, the routine play sometimes, is really good at making the tough plays. It's just every time a ground ball is hit to him, I don't feel my blood pressure rising the way I did every time a ground ball was hit to Glaber Torres last season. And then you have Josh Donaldson at third base who made some of the nicest plays that you know, I've seen anyone at third base making that White Sox series. And things are just clean with this team. You know, what is your kind of takeaway, especially defensively, with, with, with how, you know, put together this team feels right now? I know that you wanted to gush about the defense a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, just starting with the, with the basic stats, you, you love to see that the Yankees have committed the fifth fewest errors in baseball, just 14 in 
fifth place. They're tied with the uh, with the Kansas City Royals for that mark, and um, only the Padres, Reds, Astros, and Mets have committed fewer errors. So that's and that's a big difference from from the you know from the recent from recent times in in Yankee Land where uh, it was a team that that hit a lot of home runs and, and was offensively all there, but you didn't necessarily expect as much from from the defense. So that is a real positive. In terms of the, you know, the more advanced stats, I think it is a little early in the season to draw too many conclusions from those. Uh, but the Yankees are, you know, middle of the road, about basically right smack in the middle of the league with a, with a defensive run saved mark of eight. As far as their UZR per 150, they're solidly in the top half of the league, 11th place, 2.3. Um, so the, the advanced stats and the standard stats both paint a picture of a team that is you know, at, at least competent and at best very good uh, defensively. And I agree with what you said, uh, you know, watching Donaldson, it's, it's key that, there, that, that, that there's an upgrade between Donaldson and, and Urshela, uh, I'm sorry, Donaldson and kind of Falefa on the left side of the infield versus what we had last year in Urshela and Torres or sometimes Urshela at shortstop. Definitely an upgrade there. So along with how great the primary contributors have been offensively and along with how dominant the pitching staff has been, with some expected and some unexpected contributions, you have to feel good about the overall state of the team, um, top to bottom. Yeah, you kind of hinted at Gio Urshela there, so I think that's a good segue to our two-up, two-down segment. Um, once again, we're not going to disrespect this team by doing two-down. We refuse to talk through this podcast saying really anything majorly negative about anyone on this team. Plus, we have a fun little segment later um, that we'll get to, that we want to get to as quickly as possible. So, I will start, and I guess I'll piggyback kind of off that conversation with my first up, which is Josh Donaldson. So we last spoke on May 3rd on this podcast. Since then, Josh Donaldson slashing 316, 395, 605 with a 435 weighted on base average and a 197 WRC+. Not only that, as we briefly mentioned, flashing the leather at third base, doing what he can do over there, what we all know he can do over there, which is be as good if not better than Gio Urshela at manning that position and then also beyond that kind of bringing an intensity to this team that really has felt like it's been missing on that judge walk-off home run against Toronto he was the first player out of the dugout he seems to be one of the most intense reactors on the bench to basically anything he was also the one that got hit by Yimi Garcia in that Blue Jays game so he's somewhat of a target too so that makes it kind of fun because you know it's Josh Donaldson he's kind of an a-hole and yeah I mean he's doing a really good job of making people forget about Gio Urshela and I like to think of him as just a much better version of Todd Frazier I think when I when I look at Josh, Josh Donaldson I see the intensity and the passion that Todd Frazier brings but just all the more skill possible I think if Donaldson is good if Donaldson is bringing what he can to the table both offensively and, de and defensively I think it and I think we've spoken about this it brings the Yankees from a really good level to a borderline pretty elite level because he is an elite hitter he's obviously a former MVP and he's been a good hitter throughout his entire career he's barely had one down season aside from injury so if he goes 
I mean, the whole dang machine is hard to get to, and I can't, it's hard to get through. And I can't even imagine being a pitcher and going up there and, and facing this lineup. I mean, there are no breaks, and he's such a big part of that. And we saw that over the past week. It's like usually when you win an 11 in a row, you expect a downturn. But throughout that win streak, Donaldson wasn't necessarily playing well. He had a 10 game hit streak, but it, nothing was really coming in bunches. So to finally see him contribute and to see that turn into wins, it just kind of goes to show how good this team can really be. And it's awesome to see him because he was someone I was so high on going into, going into this season. So that was my, my first up. So my, my first um, is Luis Severino. Uh, so he uh, made a start yesterday that was by far his best of the season. Just gave up one, one hit. It was a solo home run to Anthony Santander in the fourth inning, but he was, he was dominant otherwise. Induced 15 whips on 38 overall swings of the Baltimore Orioles uh, only allowed two balls to be hard hit. One of them was the aforementioned home run. He was, he was fantastic. And, and I think there's an argument to be made right now that Luis Severino is the fifth best starter on the team. So if you, if you, if you take as a given that Cole and Cortez are, are one and two in whatever order you want to put them, I, I say half in jest. Uh, and then you have uh, Tyone, and you have Montgomery, both of whom have thrown the ball very well. Uh, Tyone was, uh, I would say, adequate this evening. Um, and then you have Severino, who uh, you know we know can be a number one or number two when he's at his best. I think this year he's, he's sort of been up and down. It's been hard to predict what you're going to get from him on any given night. But he went out last night and shoved. And I think if the Yankees have that Luis Severino, they are – if they have that Luis Severino combined with the offensive production they've been getting and how good the defense has been, you're talking about almost an unhittable, an unbeatable team. It's really incredible. I mean, the, there, there is no ceiling for this group if we have one through five in the rotation pitching the way they have with Severino going the way he was last night. Yeah, I mean, it's just the, the team this season has been the gift that keeps on giving. It's like guys that you didn't really expect to be a huge contributors have been huge contributors. And Luis Severino is one of those people. And especially in the rotation, it's like, you see Jamison Tyone pitching well. Obviously, Nestor Cortez is like pitching at a Cy Young level right now. And then, you know, there's guys like IKF contributing and Jose Trevino. And it's when you get those contributions on the margins that you didn't really expect alongside the guys that you expect to be contributing, having good seasons, it makes for a very good baseball team. And yeah, I mean, watching Luis Severino is almost like must see TV now at this point. Like every time Severino starts, it's like, let's see how good he is. Not like, let's see if he's able to stay out there for longer than two innings. I mean, remember for so long there, every time he pitched, it was like, oh, you know, is he going to be able to go like actually three full innings? And now he's become a stalwart of this rotation. So one can only hope that that keeps up. My second up is going to be Joey Gallo. And this is the obvious one. Um, so I'm taking the easy road here. But since May 9th, so I'm, I am butter knifing him a little bit. But he was also out for a few games with a groin injury from May 3rd to May 7th. So played May 8th, May 8th and May 9th, or May 7th and May 8th. Didn't get a hit. So what I decided to do was classically look from May 9th to today. 387 OBP, 163 WRC+. Plus. He had a couple homers. He had that big home run against the White Sox that basically put the game to bed, I think, on Sunday or Saturday. One of those games. He is 0-2 tonight, 0-2 tonight, so he's a bit on thin ice. But yeah, I mean, again, it, it's kind of the same thing. It's like through that 11-game win streak, there were people, players like Gallo and Donaldson really struggling, but they were still winning games. 
And then when the streak ends, you kind of expect a regression. But when you have as deep a team as the Yankees have, and you have players like Joey Gallo and Josh Johnson struggling through an 11-game win streak, they're only going to end up kind of figuring out eventually, and they happen to figure it out following that win streak. And obviously, they're 9-3 and three since we spoke and since they had that win streak. And a lot of that is due to Joey Gallo finally kind of figuring out at the plate a little bit. And it's also fun to see. I was getting a little worried about Gallo. Kind of seemed like he was maybe getting into his own head a little bit. And there's been a lot of conversation about how he can't handle New York and all of this. But we're going to get with Gallo kind of what we get with Stanton, I think, which is he'll have moments where he's torrid and, and kind of tearing it up. And then he'll have moments where he can't hit a baseball. And it took Stanton a while to kind of get into that role and kind of for people to accept Stanton as that. And I think Gallo is kind of going through the same growing pains where it's like we have to learn what Joey Gallo really is, which is someone that's going to bat 200 with a you know with a terrible OBP for a couple weeks but then come out for the next two weeks after that and potentially carry the team I think Gallo's approaching that I think he's starting to own up to the fact that you know that's his contribution on this team there's not nearly as much pressure on him this season to perform I think especially now after this great start as there was last year last year came in and everyone kind of expected him and Rizzo to be the guys to propel them to some sort of crazy unrealistic playoff run now this year you can kind of take a back seat and sort of figure it out as the season goes along. The Yankees obviously have a pretty comfortable lead in the division. Obviously it's still early, but there's a cushion there. It feels like to me, these players that have been struggling now actually have the opportunity to really settle in. All of last year was just pressure to win. Every single day was you're trying to catch somebody. But now they're finally in the driver's seat, and I think that's going to end up being a really positive thing for Joey Gallo especially. Agreed. I think Joey Gallo is is finding another gear these last couple of weeks, and that's that's really important. That 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 changes the lineup between him and Donaldson. Really changes the lineup from, you know, a great lineup to a, an elite lineup. You know, one of the best in the league. So both of those guys coming on strong is important. So talk about a softball. I was going to go with a really easy pick and just gush about Aaron Judge a little bit here because I think at this point he is the MVP of the league. There's an argument to yeah. that he's the MVP. I, of the I think I think that right might now. be the case. Um, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in a bit of a different direction. I've decided off the cuff here. Uh, and I'm going to go with Glaber Torres for my second up. I would say that apart from, apart from the dominance of Nestor Cortez, I think the resurgence of Glaber Torres might be the most fun storyline about the 2022 Yankees right now. So some of the stats to start with. So in the month of May, Glaber is slashing 250, 313, 455. That's good for a weighted on-base average of 340 and a weighted runs created plus of 129. He's got three home runs in that span. He is walking 8.3% of the time. He's striking out just 12.5% of the time. He's doing all of this with a batting average on balls in play of just 229. So he's getting somewhat unlucky with his contact. And he's making a lot of contact. Um, the ball is jumping off his bat in a way that we haven't seen it since 2019 for sure. And, um, you know, just before we began this segment, he also singled home a run for another RPI. He's been, he's been great. And he's looked a lot more comfortable defensively at second base as well. He did boot a ball earlier in this game. But in general, defense has looked much better. He was an X-factor coming into the year. No one really knew what we were going to get out of him after the last couple of years. He is performing to the standard that anyone would be happy with. Uh, and it's been really great to see because he was such a big part of that fun 2019 run. And now to see him playing a big role in the newest edition of the fun Yankees is really rewarding. So I'm hoping he keeps it up and he's been a real bright spot the last couple of weeks. 
I just did a quadruple take at Glaber Torres' baseball savant page. I mean, you open it, and typically Glaber Torres has not had the stoplight baseball savant page where you just open it and everything is red, even in the years where he was really good, 2018, 2019. But you go to 2022, he's the 90th percentile in hard hit rate? What? When did that even happen? 402 expected weighted on base average. I mean, I honestly didn't even realize that his contact quality had gone up so much. So yeah, Glaber Torres. I mean, this is, again, like we talk about Aaron Judge, we talk about Stan Rizzo, everyone who was kind of carrying throughout the beginning of the season in like April. And then there's just Glaber Torres being like having the best, I would argue this is the best Glaber Torres has ever been. Not so much from a results perspective, but from a pure batted ball perspective. I agree. I, I think this is, this is, he's playing the best baseball of his career right now. Just really, really incredible given how, you know, staggeringly good he was out of the gate in his rookie year in, in 2019. We kind of saw that last year, right? When he moved to second base full time, he started to hit the ball more. And this might be hyperbolic and it, and it might not be so true, but I think he was clearly pretty nervous at shortstop. He never looked confident playing the position. And I think that affected the way he was hitting. It's the same thing with Giancarlo Stanton being the DH all the time. He didn't feel like he was really a part of the game. He's even said that. And going into the field really helped him get into the flow more. So a full season of Glaber Torres at second base seems to be helping him. The only thing is that I also think confidence-wise, he's had moments this year where he's come up to pinch hit and come up big. It happened on opening day. It a big pinch at home or two, I think, against um, Texas. And those are just small confidence builders and small, like, prove-it moments for him where he was and to some degree still is the, the at risk of being kind of the fill-in guy because there is always going to be an odd man out in the Yankees infield. And I think he's doing everything he can to prove that, no, Glaber Torres is a 400x Woba hitter, apparently. It's, it's great to see, and, and I am definitely relishing in this. I, there is definitely a segment of Yankees Twitter that had really soured on him. I felt like he was kind of venturing into Aaron Hicks territory for some people a little bit. Uh, and just to see the to see the real Glaber, the one that we know was in there all along, come back out, has been definitely a huge, a huge, a, a huge factor for this team, a huge development for this team, and, and it's just felt really good. Okay, so let's uh, before we get to our main segment of the show we just need to mention of course we usually do the gary sanchez or the gary of the week uh we're not going to do that just to save some time but we are going to give you a gary check-in so gary is five for 15 with two home runs in his last four games so last time when we spoke we were very worried about gary's ability to stay in the lineup and stay playing major league baseball for the foreseeable future but in classic gary fashion he just hits bombs and the twins are in first place and we all know how this ends it ends with a Yankees-Twins ALDS, and it ends with a Gary Sanchez series-winning home run for the Twins. That's how this all comes full circle here. I'm putting that out into the ether now so that when it happens, we can come back to this and, and realize how true that was because Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela are – that's all going to come full circle one day. It just has to. NYY takes vaults into first place as the most listened to Yankees podcast on the internet. Oh, uh, well, that, that would be – that would be – lovely wouldn't it let's get into our segment so because there have been so many good vibes with this team one just makes you happier as a fan makes you think about good happy times two there's not a lot of bad stuff to talk about you can't really blame anyone for anything and you can't you don't want to you know talk down on anyone because 
we're just two dudes on a podcast and we're not going to do that when the team is the best record in baseball. So what did we decide to do? We decided to do a segment and we're actually going to learn a bit, a little bit from each other on this too. do a segment of the best, the three best Yankee games that each of us have ever been to. I have some honorable mentions that I'll save for a rainy day. There are some other ones that I think I could throw in here, but Matt, I will let you kick us off. We're going to go, so we each have three, so we're going to go from worst best to best best. So Matt, I will let you start. Excellent. So I think to, to preface my three choices, it's, it's quite appropriate. So uh, for listeners who, who probably don't know, uh, I am a native of the New York area, but my family left the tri-state area when I was 10, and I spent the rest of my childhood in New England, and I've actually lived in New England ever since. So it's quite appropriate, given that more, more than half of my life has, spent, has been spent in Red Sox country, that two of the three games that I will highlight today are road games. So not, not at Yankee Stadium, games that I was present for, but not at Yankee Stadium. So I'll start off with the first one, and I'll take us back to October 7th of 2012, which was the first game of the division series that year against the Baltimore Orioles. Um, now, this was a significant... Uh, sporting event to be at, uh, even regardless of the Yankee connection. This was the first home playoff game for the Orioles in 14 years. And to be honest, it was the, it was the single loudest sporting event I've ever been to. Uh, the Orioles fans, credit to them. I mean, you wouldn't know it from looking at the game that's on the screen right now. But when the Orioles are good, the town rocks and the venue rocks. And yes. they're, they're a great crowd. And uh, the Orioles fans came in that night. And they really, really blew the roof off the place. It was awesome. And what compounded the drama of it was that it was a, a terrible night weather-wise. And the game was delayed about two, an hour and 40 minutes, almost two hours. Uh, and so, and nobody left. Everyone stayed. Uh, and it really poured rain for those first couple hours. And uh, everybody got in their seats. And then they, gave, they made the announcement that the game was about to go live on TBS. And the place just went ballistic. And it was deafening. Really awesome. Got to hand it to the Orioles. And then the game did not disappoint either. So uh, CC Sabathia provided one of his most dominant playoff outings in his story Yankees career that night. He went eight and two thirds innings, dueled with a, a uh, series of Orioles relievers for most of the night. And the game was tied two to two heading into the top of the ninth. Drama at its best. Uh, and two teams that at that point really did not like each other. So it just all, it was just a great atmosphere, great environment to be at. Uh, so Russell Martin, catcher of erstwhile Yankees catcher, leads off the top of the ninth with an absolute bomb to left field off Jim Johnson, uh, which now that I think about it, probably would not have been a home run in today's game. Uh, but at the time, it, it looked like a, it looked like a tango, uh, and that started uh, a five-run rally in the ninth inning. The Yankees end up winning the game seven to two. Dramatic right up until that last inning, and then they really pulled away. Uh, and that came at the beginning of what was what turned out to be just a fantastic series. Yeah, so I just remember uh, I, I remember actually being really confident anytime Jim Johnson came into a game that year. Uh, he blew a ton of saves, um, specifically against the Yankees too. But he was he was not the best. And then the uh, the late start thing with the rain. Sometimes what that does, and I experienced this at like a Yankee game I went to recently, is if there's like a seven o'clock start, even though I imagine this probably started around eight. 
all that does is give people like an extra hour to drink more and get even more excited for the game. So sometimes the rain delay is kind of like a blessing in disguise and it, and it makes the atmosphere all that much crazier. So my, my first will be the same season, actually, just the next series. So it's ALCS game one in 2012. Now this game was a loss, so it has to be my, my worst best. It was a loss, but it was a very memorable baseball game. And when I try to think of, like, the best Yankee games I've been to, I try not to be so biased as to, like, it has to be a win. It just needs to be a game that is, like, etched in my brain forever. So it started off very, very sad. Yankees were down 4-0 in the ninth inning. Couldn't score all night. But anyway, Yankees down 4 nothing in the ninth. One out, nobody on. I believe Russell Martin gets on base for Ichiro who hits a two-run home run to make it four to two with one out. And one thing I remember from this game is I was there with a family friend of mine. And right before the inning started, he was asking us all to leave the game. And luckily, you know, ninth grade me said, no, you want to know why? Because this Yankees team that season had 45 come from behind wins in the regular season, which was most MLB that year. So after the Ichiro homer, you kind of get a little, little excited. But then Robbie Cano strikes out. So it's 4-2 Tigers. Mark Teixeira works a walk. And then, of course, Raul Ibanez comes to the plate. And if we remember that Baltimore series that you were mentioning, Ibanez had that game game three where he hit the game-tying home run, uh, pinch hitting for Alex Rodriguez. And then in his next at-bat, an extras hit the game-winning home run. But, of course, Raul Ibanez comes up and hits a game-tying two-run home run. A lot of the stadium had left, so it kind of took away from the magic of the moment per se, but probably the craziest I've ever gone at a Yankee game. Um, I mean, 4 nothing down game one of the ALCS. But then was the beginning of the end for pretty much this like entire Yankees era, the entire Jeter, Pettit, Posada, Moe era. Like this game, the reason it's on this list is because it was a great game, but it was also felt it also felt like such a turning point in the franchise's history. Top of the 12th inning, it's still 4-4. Runner on second. There's a fly ball to Nick Swisher, and he loses it in the lights. It's one of the worst plays, or it looked like one of the worst plays by a right fielder that you could possibly imagine. And Nick Swisher was beloved by Yankees fans for years when he was there. This man got booed into oblivion. The bleacher creatures were throwing stuff at him. It was ugly. So right off the bat, already terrible vibes. You're losing 5-4. It's late. It's cold. And you're sad that the comeback looks like it's going to fall short. But then it, of course, only gets worse. Johnny Peralta comes up to the plate. And this is the moment I'm talking about where kind of everything just changes for this franchise. Johnny Peralta ground ball up the middle, kind of eats up Jeter. I was watching the play earlier today on YouTube and it wasn't a diving play. And and I sort of remember it as that because I think I just remember him sprawled out, but it kind of eats him up. And if we remember from that season, he was having a lot of issues with his left ankle for the last month of the season. It It was a persistent problem for him. And he kind of just went down went down. You couldn't really tell how bad it was at first. Um, and you're thinking, oh, it's Jeter. He's fine. He went down, kind of like flipped the ball away to Cano. And you're kind of standing there like, oh, it's fine. It's Jeter. He'll be okay. And then he like tries to push himself up with his fists. 
and then just stays down. And in that moment, you just hear the life completely leave the stadium. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced. Like 40,000 people just collectively gasping and then just dead silence. And they would obviously go up to lose the, go on to lose the game. And as we know, get swept in this series. So the main reason it's on this list is because that to me marked the end of those Yankees. They missed the playoffs in 2013. They missed the playoffs in 2014. They lose the wild card game with that fluky great A-Rod season in 2015. Missed the playoffs in 2016 before the baby bombers burst on the scene in 2017. So to me, that game was so important because it was like everything was on its last legs with those older teams, with those Girardi, A-Rod, Jeter, Mariano type teams. And when Jeter went down, it was like one of those moments for me where I said, all right, this team is probably going to be terrible for the foreseeable future. And I'm going to have to accept that as someone that missed the, uh, really did miss most of those nineties days and um, really only had 2009 in the back pocket kind of realized, okay, you know, this is, this is probably over for now. So yeah, obviously a loss, but in terms of a memorable game, certainly certainly up there and would probably be higher on my list had they won but it is almost way more fitting for the story of how kind of things went for the New York Yankees from that game forward till 2017 losing that game just made a lot of sense so that is my worst best that's wild that you were at that game I think um, for me the uh, contrast of the of the high and the low of that game possibly only has been matched by game six of the 2019 ALCS in Houston, where you had that same feeling of everything's going great. Never mind, everything sucks and yep. the world is terrible. And I remember feeling that distinct, like that huge mood swing in, in that game that you were just talking about in 2019. That's a great thing. So number two for me, I'll roll through this one pretty quickly. Um, you know, we don't talk we don't talk enough about Gary Sanchez on this podcast. So let's talk about Gary Sanchez. Of course we don't. Um, so another fun fact to go along with my spiel at the beginning is that I've certainly at this point been to far more games at Fenway Park than I've been to a Yankee Stadium. 14 years in New England will do that for, for a person. 15 years actually at this point. Uh, so I had the good fortune of being at Fenway on August 10th, 2016 which was an otherwise mundane encounter between first place Red Sox who would go on to to win the division and the Yankees who would go on to miss the playoffs that season. Uh, So we're talking about a midsummer game at Fenway. Of course, you know, since the Yankees weren't so great, there was mostly Sox fans in the house that day and uh, behind the plates or actually DHing that day um, was the uh, new baby face catcher named Gary Sanchez, who was about to usurp the role from Brian McCann. Uh, he was just about a week or two into his, uh, or a week and a half into his, um, into the first stretch of his major league career in 2016. He did debut very quickly in 2015 at a cup of coffee, but this was the first sustained stretch that he was with the team. And the Yankees went down four to one that day, um, going into the seventh inning. Um, it did not look like a game that the Yankees were going to win at all. And then um, there was uh, quite a, a spirited comeback that the Yankees managed to put together in the seventh inning of that game. Uh, they put together a five-run rally um, keyed by 
uh, hits by, among other people, Didi Gregorius. Austin Romine had an RBI single in that inning. Jacoby Ellsbury had an RBI single in that inning. Chase Headley had an RBI single in that inning. And also Gary Sanchez contributed to that rally with a, with a single as the second third of the inning. So the Yankees turned around six to four. The place is, uh, has the air totally um, sucked out of it. And then in the eighth inning, the, uh, Gary Sanchez comes up again after uh, having singled his previous time up to face uh, Junichi Tazawa, who was one of the stalwarts of the Sox bullpen at the time. And again, it's six to four at this point, so it's still a ball game. You know, certainly nobody had left at that, at that point. The, 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 the mood was subdued, but everyone's still in their seats hoping the Sox can rally. Gary Sanchez comes up to, come, comes up to bat and hits one of the, probably the longest home run I've ever seen in, in person at Fenway. Takes one all the way up over the triangle, the dead center field. Just an absolute bomb. And it was just a solo home run. There was nobody on base. He was leading off the inning. But you just see every single person in my section just turn around and head to the entrance. Like the, the, whole, the whole mood changed. People just saw this, this, you know, nobody knew who this was at this point. No, nobody on the, nobody in the Red Sox crowd knew who Gary Sanchez was. But that home run completely, like everyone knew at that point that the Red Sox weren't. And the Yankees went on to score two more runs and win the game nine to four. So eight runs unanswered. And that was the first home run of Gary Sanchez's career. Really special moment to be there for that and solidified him as one of my favorite players that I've ever seen. And of course, uh, anyone who's, who's tuned into this podcast enough knows that <laughs> neither of us can get enough of Gary, even though he's no longer with the team. But it was really special to be there for his first home run. And it's definitely a, a game that I'll always remember. Yeah, I remember watching that and being like, whoa, who is this guy? <laughs> we can romanticize that, you know, August, September, Gary Sanchez all we want because we didn't have fun as Yankee fans for three years. I mean, as we've mentioned time and time again on this podcast, we did a lot of watching Travis Hafner and Lyle Overbay in our prime as, as fans. Um, and that wasn't very fun. So this young baby-faced catcher coming up hitting 450-foot bombs was pretty fun. So obviously, you can't blame us for falling in love, man. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. Gary's first home run. Would be great if he ended up kind of being the guy that everyone hoped he would. But uh, hey, there's still room. You never know. He could end up, you know, having a statue outside of Target Field in Minnesota one day. It's never too late for Gary Sanchez. So my second game, September 26, 2013, Mariano Rivera's last game as a New York Yankee. I think we all know how this goes. They lost the game 4-0, didn't score a run. Um, but the moment where he came into the game and you hear, like, enter Sandman for the last time and you're kind of like, whoa, like, this is it. Like, this is never going to happen again. Probably no closer is, like, going to use this song as their walkout song ever. So, like, very possible this is the last time you ever hear this song played for a relief pitcher in baseball. And then he gets the first two outs. And then, of course, Derek Jeter and Andy Pettit come out to the mound to take him out. And Mariano Rivera, the, the beacon of stoicism himself, a guy that has come up to pitch in so many high-pressure scenarios and come through, just balls his eyes out on Andy Pettit's shoulders. 
And as someone obviously that grew up watching Mariana Rivera, very emotional moment, not only like for me, but for everyone in the crowd. Uh, so to be able to say that I saw Mariano Rivera throw his last ever pitch in Major League Baseball is definitely something that I'll remember for a very long time. And this game itself, I could not tell you anything that happened. Not a single thing that happened up until that ninth inning outside of when Mariano Rivera entered the game and left the game. I hardly remember the at-bats. I only remember the things that truly mattered, which were enter Sandman and Pet and Jeter come to take him out. So that's my my second best and and something that I think I'll probably remember for the rest of my life, if I had to guess, despite the fact that the Yankees didn't score a run and didn't do anything that game. But just uh, just an awesome scene at Yankee Stadium and kind of an all-time highlight too. You know, if you ever if you ever want to get teary-eyed, just go on YouTube and look that up. And if you're a Yankee fan, um, you know, you might just shed a tear. One of my enduring memories, I was not at that game. I was watching on, on TV. Uh, but, but one of my enduring memories from that moment is, you know, of course, as you described, Mariano just with his head on, on Pettit's shoulder, Jeter right there. Uh, and then, you know, the, the line of, of additional figures from that era on the, on the, on the, uh, yes, you know, yes. outside the dugout. I, I mention that, yeah. When you had like Posada burning them, just like Posada. standing there. Yep. It's, Gerald like the gates, Williams. it's like the, it was like the gates of heaven or something. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Posada, Bernie, Gerald Williams, Tino was out there. And then you just have J.R. Murphy, like derping around on the mound, not really knowing what to do with <laughs> himself. Like J.R. Murphy was also a big part of that, a, a big part of that moment. He was. And poor guy was just totally caught. At like a deer in the headlights. Just what, what do I do right now as all these legends parade around? Uh, very funny. You know, forever, uh, forever etched history. in Yankees history. So my last choice is, is from uh, slightly more recent history. So uh, we're going to take it to the 2019 ALDS against the, uh, against the Twins. Uh, I was at game two of that series. Uh, Yankees had already won game one, game two. Uh, certainly was uh, it was expected given how the Yankees had dominated the Twins in all of the previous postseason games they played going back to 2004. Certainly felt good going into that one, uh, and it was you know there was nothing stressful about it. There was nothing um, at all uh, nerve wracking about that game. It was a, pretty much a, a giant party from the first pitch that was thrown, and it only took a couple innings for things to really ride off the rails for Minnesota. Uh, the Yankees scored seven runs. They scored once in the first to get things off to a good start. Uh, and that was on a, um, what was it? Yes, a RBI single by Edwin Encarnacion. And then in the third inning, they scored seven runs. The big blow, of course, uh, that everyone remembers is the grand slam by D.D. Gregorius. And I think, again, my experience at the new stadium is not terribly extensive, but I believe that's the loudest I've ever heard place um certainly folks went absolutely bonkers when that home run was hit um yankees exited that inning with an eight nothing lead and it never really got too much closer after that and then the yankees went into minnesota for game three and won that one as well and that was you know <laughs> the moment that gregorius hit that grand slam i was thinking that the Yankees were actually going to go into houston and beat the astros it was just oh, yeah. the, the vibes were that good the world series was on World Series was absolutely on. After a year of dealing with injury after injury, the, the team was finally all there. They were all ready to go, and, and this was the year. Of course, that didn't happen. But for that moment in the ballpark, uh, after that Grand Slam, it really felt like nothing was stopping that team. 
Yeah, I'll forever die on the hill that that 2019 team should have at least won won the ALCS. Um, I wrote an article after that series ended, basically just like going through all of the fluky things and missed opportunities that the Yankees had. They had bases loaded maybe like a million times in that series and couldn't really get the big hit. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm with you. That series was like, okay, this team is, is winning a pennant this year. Um, 2019 always felt like the team. Then of course the Astros just had to come around and, and ruin everything. Oh, well, but yeah, that was a fun game. I didn't go to any, believe it or not. I actually went to, I didn't go to any of those ALDS games that season. I did go to all three of the home ALCS games, which of course ended up basically being like a mini version of torture because losing game three and game four was terrible. And then you get the meaningless game five win <laughs> where everyone's like, I don't know, going to Houston, win two in a row. And of course that's not going to happen. Um, but the Hicks homer in game five was cool, but that was really it. Outside of that, that was like three straight days of just utter torture. Um, but anyway, for my very best Yankee game that I've ever been to, we're going, hard to say this, 13 years into the time machine, all the way back to game two of the 2009 ALDS against none other than the Minnesota Twins. So just some backstory on this game. This was right at like the peak of A-Rod post like PED drama and A-Rod in the midst of being, like, the least clutch playoff hitter of all time. The Yankees obviously missed the playoffs in 2008, but in 2007, as we know, Joe Torre put A-Rod down, I think, eighth in the lineup in that series. And the whole thing, remember, like, Reggie Jackson had to talk to A-Rod. Whole bunch of crap. A-Rod couldn't get a hit in the playoffs, and that was the narrative. Come into this game, Yankees are down 1-0 in the bottom of the sixth inning. And lo and behold, and this is after they won game once, they're up 1-0, lo and behold, base hit to left field. And I'd, I've never heard a stadium louder for like a RBI single than this one because A-Rod is one of those guys at this point of his Yankee tenure where everyone like loved him but hated him much more than, than they loved him but really, really wanted him to be a contributor. So when he did come through, it's like, it's almost like cheering out of hatred for the guy. I don't even know how to describe it. It's just such like an intense release because it's someone that couldn't do anything for so long. And he finally gets this ground ball base hit. And you're kind of hoping that gets the ball rolling. So eventually the Yankees are down 3-1 in the bottom of the ninth. Teixeira singles and up comes A-Rod. And I remember sitting in my seat, I think as a seventh grader at this point. And I love A-Rod. A-Rod is to this day, not ashamed to say it, my favorite Yankee of all time. I still remember in this moment when he came up saying verbatim to my dad, anybody but A-Rod. Because we're all so trained at this point to say that A-Rod can't come through in the clutch. But of course, I believe he gets a 3-1 count on Joe Nathan, who, and just in the most A-Rod vintage fashion, vintage A-Rod fashion possible, just a laser to right center field into the Yankee bullpen. And... So, like, this is seventh grade, and we didn't really have – I didn't spend a lot of time at Old Yankee Stadium, and we obviously – the Yankees obviously missed the playoffs in 2008. So, the last time they were in the playoffs, I was in, like, fifth grade. And, like, from fifth grade to, like, eighth, seventh, eighth grade, you definitely mature a lot. 
And like, I feel like you remember a lot more as a seventh grader than you do as like a fifth grader. So this was the first moment for me. Like when A-Rod hit that homer, I wasn't even going crazy. I was just looking around at the stadium in actual like awe of how nuts everyone was going. And Yankee Stadium, New Yankee Stadium got a lot of flack when it first opened for just not being anywhere nearly as intense as as the old place, which will forever be true. But that's because the old place was, you know, special in its own right. But this was like the first time I really was like, whoa, like this is this is the craziest thing I've seen in, in a really long time. I mean, like grown men like dogpiling each other in the stands like I was trying not to like get completely smothered by by thousands of drunk people so that moment was a like insane of course but b like the moment where I was like okay well A-Rod is now my favorite player ever as a quick follow-up to that I will never forget Nick Swisher almost hitting a walk-off home run that same inning to the warning track in center field that would have been crazy but no of course there had to be more drama. So 10th inning, nothing really happens. Top of the 11th, though, is where this game becomes like super, super classic. So Joe Maurer has like a phantom. He has a pop-up down the left field line that drops in and the umpire's the umpire down the left field line rules it foul. And this is when you don't have replay. So it's clearly a fair ball, but it's ruled foul. Yankees catch a huge break. Maurer gets on anyway with a single. Bases loaded, nobody out. David Robertson comes into the game. And of course, Houdini's his way out of it. Delman Young lined out to first. Carlos Gomez grounded out to a force out. They got the guy at the plate. And then Brendan Harris, these names are crazy, flew out to end the inning. And then turn around and Jose Mijares comes in and he's a soft tossing lefty pitching to a right-handed Mark Deshera and Deshera rips a home run down the left field line. And much like what you mentioned with Didi's Grand Slam in game two of the ALDS against the Twins in 2019, when this happened, you kind of just knew. You kind of just knew that this team was going to win World Series. They had just stolen a game that they really were not supposed to win and were up 2-0 in the series as opposed to going 1-1 to Minnesota in what was a very tough environment. So yeah, the best Yankee game I've ever been to, thanks to Alex Rodriguez and Mark Deshera. So that was the birth of my full-blown love affair with A-Rod. He obviously ended up carrying the Yankees to the World Series that season, and that game was kind of the one that really cemented in a lot of people's minds that that team was the one to win it all that year. That was a classic, and the Yankees went 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 to Minnesota and literally shut down the Metrodome a couple days yes. later. Last yes, game ever. Last, last game baseball ever. game ever played there. I have a lot of honorable mentions that I could throw out there. I'm sure we both do. We'll save that for a rainy day. Back to the current state of the Yankees. I have not been looking at the TV because I've been so engrossed in this baseball conversation that we're having. But the Yankees are beating the Orioles. I hope to see Clay Holmes close out this game. But yeah, I mean, we're waking up and the Yankees just keep winning games and we're just going to keep trying to think find things to talk about because so much of this podcasting thing is trying to find things to dissect and we just can't do it we're gonna do that thing where we keep ending like right before the end of a big moment of a yankee game like we keep finding a way to like end the end these recording sessions like right before the big moment happens we're obviously about to go to the bottom of the ninth but matt any final thoughts as we head into this next week of games i think we actually need to give our prediction for the next week of games what their record will look like there's another another full week of games the yankees do not have an off day until memorial day so there will be plenty of baseball to dig into as an aside while we were discussing our 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 favorite games there glaber torres hit another double in the top of the ninth 
guy is unconscious right now. Just wonderful to see. Uh, but if we're going to take just this week of games, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, let's call it the next six games. I'm going to say the Yankees are going to, and I feel like this is a cop out, but I'll say the Yankees will go four and two in those games. I think they're going to keep the good vibes rolling. Aroldis Chapman is on the mound to close out this one, which oh dear. should make anyone nervous. But I just don't see, there's no sign that they're slowing down. It seems like things are only just getting better and better. And Aaron Judge keeps on hitting more and more gears that we just didn't realize were possible. And Stanton keeps hitting the cover off the ball. And Glaber is still getting better. Donaldson and Gallo coming into their own. The pitching is as good as it's ever been. Like, where are the signs that things are about to start going poorly? I don't see any. So they're going to keep it up. And, you know, they, these, these wins, it is early, but they've banked these wins. You don't, you don't give them back. The cushion stays. And yes. you got to just feel good about, about everything. Right now. Every win is forever, literally. Um, so you think they'll go four and two. So you think they're losing two out of three to the Sox? Or you think they're, they're dropping one of these games to the Orioles? I think, I think they'll drop tomorrow's game to the Orioles. Just oh, you think it'll? You think they're gonna lose the Garrett game? Just because you know, weird, weird things like that. Let's give them. You let's give them the Monty game. We can give them the Monty game. How about that? The Thursday getaway Monty game. Yeah, yeah. You know what? You're right. At twelve thirty. Right. But, but now that we've said this, of course they're gonna lose the Garrett game. Yeah. Win the Monty. Yeah. But anyways, of course. That makes sense. Uh, nope. I'm gonna say five and one. Um, I think they're gonna sweep the Orioles. I think this is one of those teams that has potential to be, not just like really good, but like elite and god barring any disaster from chapman right now i am saying five and one they will sweep the orioles they will take two out of three against the white Sox, and might even sweep them and just do a whole nother winning streak again but we'll be able to talk about that sometime next week so for myself and matt if you've enjoyed listening thank you please rate the podcast subscribe follow hit the notification button so you don't miss another episode and without further ado let's pray that Araldus Chapman does not blow this game to the Baltimore Orioles and go Yanks